Ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, the latest installment of America's favorite podcast. It's called Trapo. That's and, right. Uh, you're listening to it right now. This is it. I'm Dustin. I'm Kai. And today we're we're back for uh, another round of uh, everyone's uh, favorite new, uh, what do you call it? Is it a gimmick? Is it a series? Is it our new thing? The new um, running gag? It's good greater garbage. That's the name of the game. It's a name that I enjoy quite a bit. You made it up and I like it. Good greater garbage. I love the alliteration. It makes you smile. Triple G. Yeah, so there you go. Now that we're there. Actually, you know what? 40 years ago. 1981. Jim Steinman, of all people, shocked the world with his first and unless, really a, only. Yeah, unless a miracle happens, only solo album to date. It's a little ditty they call Bad for Good. There's a story behind Bad for Good, which I might, we might as well just get to right now. Bad Out of Hell, the uh, first collaboration between uh, Jim Steinman and uh, one Mr. Meatloaf. Mr. Meatloaf. One, <laughs> one Meatloaf. Bad Out of Hell turned out to be a huge fucking hit. Still to date, one of the best-selling albums of all time. I have no idea why. I love the album. I, this is, it's one of my favorite albums. But the fact that back in 1976, I believe, that album hit. It could not get away from Bad Out of Hell. It's a monster yeah. hit. Steinman's record label wanted a follow-up pretty damn quick. And they pushed him. They pushed Steinman and Meatloaf to get to work on something right away. Unfortunately, old Mr. Meatloaf blew out his goddamn voice due to a combination of old, uh, touring... They say uh, exhaustion, of course. The drug use didn't help. He was laid out. He couldn't sing, could barely talk. Jim Steinman found himself in a bit of a pickle, so he ended up spending the better part of a year working on demos for the album Renegade Angel. Now, that was the original name of this album. The record label ended up pushing Todd Rundgren and uh, John Jansen. Now, John Jansen was one of the co-mixers on Bad Out of Hell. Todd Rundgren was the primary producer. The record label reteamed Rundgren and Jansen with uh, Jim Steinman at this point to try to recapture that sound and that feel from Bad Out of Hell. They even brought in uh, Rory Dodd. Now, Rory Dodd was a friend of Jim Steinman's who'd ended up doing uh, backing vocals a little bit on Bad Out of Hell, a little bit on a lot of other Jim Steinman projects. He brought uh, Rory Dodd in to lay down some, uh, I guess, rough vocals for uh, what ended up being three tracks on the actual album, just for the demos, because they were working on these demos for, for about a year. The hope was that when Meatloaf fully recovered and could actually sing, Everyone would just be able to hit the ground running with quickness because that's what the record label wanted. Unfortunately, by the time Meatloaf was, you know, back in his groove, he decided he didn't want to record any of the tracks from Renegade Angel because I guess he associated them with bad memories. Because when they were rehearsing those tracks at first, that's when everything went wrong for him and he spiraled into drug use and really kind of fell apart. I guess maybe that's when he hit bottom, basically. So Meatloaf? Yeah. And so he didn't want to record those tracks anymore because they reminded him of like these dark times that he found himself in during the rehearsals. So, and this is where it gets muddy. Jim Steinman, he had a quote where he said that he needed to share these songs with the world so badly that if, if Meatloaf wasn't going to record them, God damn it, he was going to record them himself. Now, I don't he know. He had to if, get them out of him. Now, I don't know how much of that's true and how much of it is the record label had already sunk a, a large amount of money into this project and just needed 
some kind of return on their investment. I have a feeling it's a little more the latter, but Jim Steinman is, he didn't have a small ego. So he probably thought, you know, fuck it, I can do this. And so that's what he did. That's why uh, Bad for Good ended up happening. And it also, he ended up keeping the Roy Dodd vocals on those three tracks that ended up in the album. Now, the problem was those vocals that Roy Dodd laid down, he thought they were demos. So he wasn't giving it his all. And, uh, well, you can kind of tell. He did the vocals for Lost Boys and Golden Girls, Surf's Up, and Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through. Now, those vocals are not finished. Those vocals were demos that Roy Dodd laid down almost a year earlier. And Jim Steinman, since I guess he tried to record uh, his own versions of those songs, you know, using the, the guide vocals, and turns out he didn't think he had the vocal range for it. This is Jim Steinman singing he didn't have the vocal range for it. Now, think of the songs he did sing on this album. And for some reason, he was like, you know, Surf's Up can't do it. He ended up keeping the rough demo vocals for those songs on the album. And honestly... That was a mistake, I believe. But he moved forward, changed the name of the album to Bad for Good. Now, originally, the song Dead Ringer for Love was going to be the closer for Bad for Good. But Meatloaf, who was also now, by this time, working on a new album with Jim Steinman, which ended up, well, we'll get to that. So Jim Steinman, not only was he finishing Bad for Good, he was also working on a new album with, with Meatloaf, an actual album with Meatloaf. Meatloaf didn't like Steinman's original choice for the lead single off of his album, which ended up being a, a rock and roll dreams come through and so he rejected it so jim steinman just swapped out rock and roll dreams for dead ringer for love and so meatloaf recorded dead ringer for love with share and that became the big hit from ended up obviously being called dead ringer that was released in 1981 too so dead ringer and bad for good came out of the same year bad for good came out first and then since uh jim steinman had spent so much time and energy on you know on his solo album beyond writing the, the lyrics for all the songs on meatloaf's album his overall contributions to the album were limited and also a feud between the two ensued over the 1980s which right, culminated I remember yeah, you remember it, it culminated in dueling lawsuits they were like cats and dogs going at it throughout the decade that's why we had to wait until 1993 for the true official follow-up collaboration in bad of hell 2 back in the hell it's a long and twisted road that got us to what ended up becoming b Jim for Steinman's g b for g bad for good and uh First off, I guess we'd say, what are your impressions, your overall impressions for the album? I know you love the meatloaf, but I'm not quite as much a fan of the, um, it's like each song is like this giant epic November rain ballad. And they're trying to cram every feeling you could fucking imagine. I don't know. Bored with the drama was one of the things I wrote down. One of the first things I wrote down was like, I'm already kind of bored with the, the overly melodramatic. But like the music was decent, I was it was I was kind of bored. One of the issues is uh, Jim Steinman's ethos basically is uh, encapsulated in the fact that Peter Pan is his favorite story. He loves Peter Pan because he thinks Peter Pan is a true metaphor for rock and roll because it's right. about lost boys who don't want to grow up, and that's rock and roll teenage swagger and it really goes into like the title of one of his most recognizable songs for me everything louder than everything else that's basically jim steinman's whole mission statement when it comes to making music i think overall that mission statement that uh, that whole uh, philosophy works better when he's collaborating 
not just with Meatloaf, but I mean, he's collaborated with many artists over the years. And I think right. those collaborations have borne a lot of fruit. I also feel like Bad for Good as an album overall demonstrates his weakness as a solo musician. For I mean, really, almost every song on this album was covered by someone else. And every cover basically is better than the Jim Steinman version. This album ended up kind of feeling like a sketchbook more than anything else. Like, this is what all of these other songs evolved into something better later on down the line. It's almost a curiosity, in essence, because of that. I don't mean to come down on Jim Steinman, but his vocal delivery is not good. It's just generally not good. He does not have the range or the strength in his voice to really project the emotions he's trying to convey in his music. In the case of Bad for Good as an album, I feel like you're seeing uh, you're seeing the like a peek behind the curtain and you see the wizard for who he really is. You hear all the bombast and the, the operatic melodrama in Meatloaf's vocals in Bad Out of Hell. That kind of hides a lot of sins, I would say. But when uh, it's laid bare in a composition like the title track, Bad for Good, you're hearing Jim Steinman try to sing like Meatloaf, and it doesn't work. Yeah. If you listen to uh, Meatloaf's rendition of Bad for Good, which is on uh, Bad Out of Hell 3, it's not a great version either, but the arrangement and Meatloaf's vocals definitely carry it home in a better way than Jim yeah, Steinman's. I feel like it was it was produced better. It was recorded better. And and Meatloaf, it's the range that the lyrics are trying to hit. Steinman tried, and it, after you after you explained uh, the beginning parts there about how this album came about, that makes a lot more sense to me. Why Jim Steinman was waiting for Meatloaf to show up and sing, but he didn't show up, so they just put his fucking lyrics on there and rolled with it and released the album. He was like, he he made a placeholder and he sang with the band, so that way they could like jam and get the songs down and be ready to go. And then all Meatloaf had to do was recover, show up, boom fucking ready to roll and by then after after they had like started to make it Steinman and meatloaf had started to make something else and they're like yeah we'll just fucking i don't know put whatever i made on there and we'll just let, release that or yeah, some contractual obligation where it's like well you gotta you gotta release an album by the end of the year and like, fuck meatloaf ain't ready i don't know just put my lyrics on there and put the other dude's lyrics on those three songs we'll cut those in mix a little of my lyrics in and we'll call it a day that makes a lot more sense, especially with the title track. I was like, okay, I see what they're doing, but it's like uh, not a great recording, not hitting all of the range that yeah. he's trying no. to hit. Uh, the, the key lyric, when it comes to the, the stark difference between Jim Steinman's vocals and Meatloaf's vocals, is when they sing, the northern lights are burning and they're giving off sparks. You can hear it. The way Jim Steinman tries to send that line, he tries to sell it. And then the way Meatloaf does sell it. You don't buy it when Jim Steinman's trying to sell it. But when Meatloaf's yeah. trying to sell it, you're like, that works. It's night and day. And that's why Bad for Good, not the song, but the whole album, almost, it feels like an album of demos. Because that's what it is, basically. Yeah, ballad-driven style. Bad for Good, the, the song is... Uh, the lyrics are lazy. It's it's just fucking. That's all it is. It's yeah. not even a good metaphor there. I'm gonna make you bad for good. It's like, eh, well, whatever. I get it. Part of me wanted to identify with the idea of like, you know, what does he say? You think I may be bad for just a minute? But I know that I'll be bad for good. Something like that. You think that I'll be bad for just a little while? But I know that I'll be bad for good. 
that lyric i was like okay i, I like that i can kind of identify it with like he's like he's like listen i'm fucked up but i love you it also feels like he's just saying that to fucking get in your pants but you know <laughs> yeah but uh um I don't know. That's one of the other things. It just seems weird. It's um, not so subtle sexual connotations. Well, fuck, ZZ Top yeah. got Pearl Necklace on the radio. That was a hit. Fat Bottom that's Girls. Like, yeah. Well, that's, that's not a sexual song, but yeah, Pearl, yeah. Get on your bikes and ride! I mean, Anyways. We move on to Lost Boys and Golden Girls. Now, Lost Boys and Golden Girls, the melody is... I think no matter who does it, the melody is decent. It's very yeah. low-key, and it's very romantic. It's got some good lyrics in it. And we'll never be as young as we are right now. Running away and running for home. Running for home. It's kind of poignant. We'll never be as young as we are right now. It's good. Yeah, that was something also in this, which is what was the thing that Steinman was really good at. Was right. Like, that was his job, and, and he could get you in the feels if you were in the mood for it. With some of these lines, really kind of cool and epic. But that idea, you you could have cut it down and made a really cool three minutes. But the shit, fucking nine minutes long. It's like overstays bro. its welcome. Yeah, the arrangement's very good. It's too long, and the harmonies kind of overwhelmed sometimes and rory dodd's doing the vocals on this track and that's a, the, those vocals they're not great this is the closer for bad out of hell too and we'll never be as young as we are right now running away and running for home running for home once again i think meatloaf just sells it better yeah that was like one of my least favorite songs. So like the beginning part of the album was the part that made me go, I'm already bored with the drama. By the time yeah. you get to like um, Lost Boys and Golden Girls and then you get to, what, what was that love, death and the guitar? Well, you know it is Wasted Youth from Bad Out of Hell 2, but it began its life on uh, Bad for Good as love and death in an American guitar. I remember everything! The spoken word uh, manifesto nightmare track that Jim Steinman manifested. I don't know. That track is nuts. He kills mm -hmm. a man with a guitar. It bleeds. Chuck Berry Red. And it plays notes that he'd never heard before. So he starts hitting other things with the guitar. And I smashed it against the wall. I smashed it against the floor. I smashed it against the body of a varsity cheerleader. That's what he says. <laughs> and then he says, I hit a 1981 Harley Davidson. It but reeled they, in pain or something. He said, it howled in pain. The guitar. In... Howled in heat. Mm -hmm. He goes up to his mother and father's room, creeps in in the moonlight. He raises the guitar. Mommy and daddy are sleeping in the moonlight. That, I fucking lost it. I was like, <laughs> it's great. This is fucking comedy. I raised the guitar high above my head, and just as I was about to bring the guitar crashing down upon the center of the bed, and he woke up. Wait a minute! Stop it, boy! What do you think you're doing? That's no way to treat an expensive musical instrument. And I said, God damn it, Daddy! You know I love you, but you've got a hell of a lot to learn about rock and roll! I don't know what the fuck drugs he was on when he recorded this song, but I'm glad he did. Although, once again, this is the same vocal. 
that's in Bad Out of Hell 2. He didn't re-record it. It's the same vocal. It's the same, rec- same recorded track. Yeah. The difference is he mixed in, if you listen to Wasted Youth on Bad Out of Hell 2, uh, it's a different mix. There's different uh, ambient sounds, including orgasmic moans. But I do remember that it had a heart of chrome and a voice like a horny angel. So that alone makes the Wasted Youth version better. Someone's having a good time somewhere in that track. Once again, it works a little better in Battle of Hell 2. And that's funny because it's just Steinman. And even that track yeah. works a little better in Battle of Hell 2 in that context. So. God damn it! And that leads into, I think, the most bizarre song on the album being Stark Raving Love. Stark Raving Love! Too much is never enough! Stark Raving Love is not a song it's a terrible song it's not good the only reason why this song matters is because it's technically what you'd call a musical sketch for what jim steinman later turned into uh, a song called holding out for a hero that bonnie tyler recorded it was on the right. footloose soundtrack became a huge hit he took the intro and that that kind of energetic intro With the, with the chorus, with the harmonies. And turn that into a completely different song for Bonnie Tyler. That's the song that became a hit. Stark Raving Love is just a footnote because it's like the this malformed, prototypical version of what Holding Out for a Hero became. He made magic out of garbage basically it's alchemy he, yeah. it's transmutation he took shit and turned it into gold is that the one that's like seven or eight minutes and is like by far even more overly like dramatic theme so, and it's music so yeah it's very dramatic very very yeah. dramatic i remember okay is it is that the third or fourth song that's the that's, fourth song it's right? chuck for you that was the point where i was like okay this is fucking stupid i don't want to listen to the rest of this album but i'm gonna listen to it because we're fucking doing a thing, and this is the podcast where we do stuff on purpose, and I'm going to listen to this fucking album, damn it. All right. You listen to the album on purpose. We both yeah. did. And then it went into Out of the Frying Pan. And into the fire. It's more like Let's Fuck My Lady musical fuckery from Jim Steinman, basically, when you, yeah. as far as the lyrics go. It's just, that's the only thing that came into my head. It's chivalrous horniness, basically. It's horny chivalry. Let's fuck my lady. That's what it is. It's like, when you yeah. listen to the lyrics, that's what it is. He wants to, it's hot. He sees a sexy girl, and he's talking her up because he wants to get her inside and just fuck. That's all he wants to do. He wants to get her out of the frying pan. And into the fire. It's not subtle. I, I will say... Either version of the song, both the Jim Stein version and the Meatloaf version, they have a, a set of lyrics that has always stuck with me. I just like the turn of phrase. That's what I take away from Out of the Frying Pan, is that, is that, is that line. You were only killing time and it can kill you right back. It's great. It's fucking great. That line is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those little fucking Steinman nuggets in the middle of these fucking six, seven-minute boring songs, or the yeah. songs that can become very tedious or annoying if you don't like the beat and the rhythm. My notes for this one was, compared to the last songs, this one was okay, question mark. And then I made a note uh, for the Meatloaf version. It was like, the Meatloaf version was actually more boring. So then I went back and re-listened to the Steinman version. I was like, I feel like his shitty vocals 
make it sound more desperate. Then I saw you like a summer dream and you're the answer to every prayer that I ever said. The desperate parts, like the desperate to get laid parts are like sincerely desperate, but it's also he's not taking it too seriously and fucking goofy, but he really wants to fucking get laid. And that's why I the meatloaf version where he he goes all into it, I feel like that kind of destroyed some of the things I liked because <laughs> I was actually like, okay, I'll listen to the next song. We'll see what happens. When you said Jim Steinman's vocals kind of uh, uh, sell the desperation a little more, because when he gets to the, the chorus and he sings, you got there's something about the quality of Jim Steinman's voice when he's trying to hit that high note. You've got nothing to do but even less to lose, or whatever. Like the way he says it, it's like, yeah, okay, mm. I can, I can kind of see what you're doing. I can kind of see that. I will have to disagree yeah. with you in the sense that I think I, I would have disagreed with you because uh, Out of the Frying Pan is a song from Bad Out of Hell 2 that, as a meatloaf song I always really enjoyed. But yeah, I mean, until you mentioned that, I never really put the song in that kind of context. No, you have me rethinking things now. I still don't think I prefer the Jim Steinman song, but I think I understand exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, listen to the fucking Meatloaf version a hundred times before you probably listen to the Steinman version. Well, maybe 20, because I bought this album 20 years ago. But either way, you'd heard him a lot. And I, right. that was just my feeling going in cold. I, I see exactly where you're coming yeah. from. And, and his desperation probably was because he couldn't hit the notes that Meatloaf could. Right. And that's why it sounds desperate because he's like trying to hit a note <laughs> that he can't. He's desperately, desperately and he's trying literally to hit that desperate. Note. <laughs> yeah. You've got nothing to do and even less to lose. You can hear his voice kind of breaking when uh-huh. he's doing that. Maybe that's why it made me feel like it was a little more like a teen angsty kind of thing. And I, then I the think... meatloaf takes it into like. And it's Maybe, just a real song. I, like, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I, I'm ready to fuck. Yeah, Meatloaf's voice is a little too silky, and I think the, the shabby quality of Jim Steinman's vocals in that song maybe kind of sell the teenage uh, horniness and angst a little better. Because Meatloaf's just like, he's a little too suave. Like, you know Meatloaf's going to get laid at the end of that song. Mm-hmm. You're not so sure Jim Steinman's going to get laid at the end of that song. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. But by the time you get to the end, you don't know what's going to happen. You're like, I don't, I don't know if he convinced her. And by the end of the meatloaf song, you're like, oh yeah, it's going down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you've actually, re- I, I'm just having this little conversation. You've actually really turned me around on this version on the Jim Steinman track. I've lit in the past like five minutes. I've literally grown to. Uh, it's become more endearing to me, I guess, in these past five minutes. It really has. You've turned me around on it. For s- somehow, you've done it. I was dismissive of this song. When we first started talking about it, I was like, oh, this fucking song. Because my note literally says right here, Steinman's vocals just can't convey the energy and excitement of this deliberately melodramatic lyric the way Meatloaf can. Yeah, that's it. That, yeah. that, that was my, that was my which note. Is, which is definitely true. But it also becomes, the way you've talked it up, that is actually a strength on this version of the song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, okay. Yeah, you blew me away, Kai. You, you did it. You made yeah. me appreciate this song in a way that I that I did not before. Well, how do you feel about Surf's Up? Well, I'll say Meet Lois' rendition on Bad Attitude is just better. I don't think that's controversial. Yeah, I don't think you listened to that version. I didn't. Rory did, Dodds, did Meatloaf basically re-sing this whole album at some point? Obviously, he didn't do uh, Love and Death and an American Guitar. He didn't do yeah. Dance in My Pants because no one covered Dance in My Pants. I'm... He didn't do the, uh, the Storm's Instrumental. So, no, everything else basically, yeah, became a Meatloaf song at some point. 
But yeah, uh, Rory Dodd's vocals, and I don't know if it's just because he recorded them as a demo and he wasn't giving it his all, or if maybe Rory Dodd just wasn't up for the challenge. Listening to the vocals on this version of Surf's Up, it makes me literally cringe. That forced falsetto makes my skin crawl. Uh-huh. Uh. Yeah. I think I like the idea and the concept of the song. I mean, it's not just like a goofy song about trying to get fucking laid. Let's see if I can find the lyrics. There was something on there that I really liked. Another one of those kind of cool epic fucking lyrics. Yeah. It's it's totally about getting laid. Fuck. I mean, spoiler alert. Yeah. It's much more apparent now that I'm reading. I was like, oh no, it's t- it's completely about surfs up. I need it so bad. Surfs up. And so I need I. it so bad. <laughs> surfs up and so am I. And so am I. I gotta give you some love. Surfs up and so am I. Yeah. It's about fucking. They're all about fucking. Even the storm is somehow about fucking. I would actually suggest at some point you do listen to the uh, Meatloaf's version on. I think if you listen to it, you'll probably agree. Meatloaf just blows him out of the water. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the the theme of this song that would make the make it much better. <laughs> Instead of being shitty and choppy and desperately trying to hit the notes you're writing towards. So, surf's up, man. We're moving on to Dance in My Pants. I have uh, opinions on this song, but I would like to hear yours first, if you have any. Oh, I got opinions. That was when I, I genuinely almost, uh, I, I almost turned my shit off. God, this fucking song is stupid. It's eight minutes long? Ah, oh, fuck. Ugh. It's one of those things where, it, again, you could make that into a three-minute classic 80s pop song. You could. But it's fucking eight minutes long. <laughs> God damn. I know exactly where you're coming from with this song. Exactly. I, I understand your point of view completely. But I think this song's kind of fucking amazing. So basically, for all the reasons you hate it. I don't know any other way to describe it than that. All the things that you look at and see as, as negatives, I see as positives. This song is essentially uh, an answer to Paradise. That's why it's so fucking long. It's one of those big back and forth kind of battle of the sexes uh, songs. That's what it is. Only the difference is... Unlike Paradise by the Dashboard Light, which ends in misery when Meatloaf agrees to love this woman till the end of time, and after they fuck, he realizes, oh my god, we are not in love, I hate this. And so he's praying for the end of time. That's a sad ending, that's just misery. But with Dance in My Pants, it's the opposite of Paradise by the Dashboard Light because it's a happy ending. Right. All she wants to do is dance. All he wants to do is fuck. Once again, we're there.
he doesn't realize yeah. until the end of the song, the climax, that if he just meets her halfway, gets out on that dance floor and cuts a rug and has a good time, they're gonna fuck. He just realizes, hey, wait a minute, dancing's fun too. You got a whole lot of style and a lot of romance and me, 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 I got in my pants. It's a much happier ending than Paradise by the Dashboard Light. And a lot of the sexual politics that were on display in, the, in Paradise are just not, are just completely absent here, which I, I'm okay with that too. I just like the energy in the track. It feels like a very horny sock hop. I would it, agree with that if it was three or four minutes. <laughs> right. I think Carla DeVito, she's the, the female lead. I think her vocals are really on point, especially when they get to the back and forth uh, singing between uh, her and Jim Steinman. Her vocals are like a machine gun. That's precision. This back and forth is kind of fantastic. It's impressive. And I, I wonder how many takes she needed to nail that because I don't think anyone could do it in one. When Steinman does this fucking... Oh, and it sounds like those bad impressions of John Travolta you hear on The Simpsons. I mean, literally. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. He does that on The Simpsons and it's so fucking stupid. Jim Steinman did it before The Simpsons was a thing. Oh, it made me laugh so hard. But, oh, jeez. She just wants him to get out and dance. And then he does... No way, the whitest thing you've ever heard it's like come on man obviously there's a sincerity in this but it's also completely fucking overwrought now but you know how it's done it's only a matter of practice well i could show you some of that practice <laughs> now that you know how it's done it's only a matter of practice that you know he's winking at you the whole time but this song yeah. is not beating you over the head with fucking Phil Rizzuto doing a play-by-play. He's out. Don't wait. Stay safe at second base. This kid really makes things happen out there. This song doesn't do that. This song is a little more subtle. And plus, uh, I think it's a lot healthier. Both characters are pretty happy about the way things turn out at the end of uh, Dance in My Pants. And that's a lot healthier than the nightmare that the end of Paradise by the Dashboard Light becomes. So yeah, I, I know uh, we'll probably never see eye-to-eye on this song. And I understand exactly why, but... I was fucking annoyed. The whole eight minutes. I get it, Kai. I get it. Okay, what's the next song? Left in the Dark. Just need some love to turn out the lights and I'll be left in the dark again. In the Amazon Music version, this is titled Medley. Really? Yeah, and does it start out with like, tell me who touched you? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay. I understand why it's there, but uh, there's something about Jim Steinman's delivery that was like, yeah, this is making me uncomfortable, man. Yeah, definitely. I guess that's the point, though. Yeah, but I think the rest of it, I think I think it was my favorite song on the album after that, oddly enough. <laughs> there we go. So that's the thing about opinions. They're different. I genuinely did not like this. This, uh, I didn't like it. I wrote a note here when I just reread it. I don't understand exactly what it means. This wasn't a typo. I know this wasn't a typo because when I wrote it, it made sense. I wrote, his shorty bullshit just gets on my nerves here. <laughs> I, uh, I don't get it now, but I got it when I wrote it. It made sense at the time. Yeah, his shorty bullshit just yeah. gets on my nerves here. My notes just say best question mark. I don't know. Well, see, the thing is, I know there's a kernel of a good song here because there are two good versions. Yeah. You'll never guess what one of these versions is. I'm guessing Meatloaf had something to do with it. He did indeed. I just need some love, so turn out the lights and I'll be left in the dark again. Meatloaf recorded it for uh, Welcome to the Neighborhood. 
his version cuts out the spoken word shit. Where did he touch you? And how did it feel? And why did you let it begin? Which is fine. But uh, Barbara Streisand recorded her own version of the song for 1984's Emotion that Jim Steinman produced, which I've heard I really enjoy. Oh, Good yeah. Good album, Emotion. It's a Barbara Streisand album, but uh, as far as Barbara goes, it's not bad. Streisand's version... I really enjoy. Maybe I think it sounds better from a woman's perspective for some reason. Her vocals bring a kind of sense of vulnerability to it, which I feel helped. But I mean, the lyrics, I just need some love, so turn out the lights and I'll be left in the dark again. That's pretty good. Overall, the lyrics are good. I just don't like Jim Steinman's delivery. That's my problem. The character he's portraying, he's got the anger. He's got the rage. It's there. And there are so many things that I just gotta know. You tell me who you tell me when you tell me when. But he also still loves his wife so much that he wants to forgive her. And then you have that moment, that kind of pathetic surrender when he says, I just need some love. That yeah. works beautifully because of what it means. I'll be left in the dark again. I don't want to know. Just let me have this moment, and then we can deal with it tomorrow in the light of day. It's, yeah. it's very adult, and it's very poignant, and it's very painful. I just don't like Jim Steinman's delivery. And see, I, I only have that. So that's probably why you, you might like a different version well, better. But yeah, I think Emotions on uh, Amazon Music, so it's a it's I a power ballad with her right now and disconnect you again. Oh, don't do that to me. Just don't. I don't want to be left in the dark again, Kai. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to you, bro. What really destroys this song for me is the way he delivers those lines at the end of the song when it does this whispery bullshit with his voice. Just get some There's this real stupid effect on his voice. Like, he's really trying. Don't to talk, kid. I'm like, shut the fuck up, Jim. You're ruining your own song. Yeah. My only issue is with Steinman's delivery of the vocals. Because I don't think his vocals are up for the task. I don't think they are at all. Yeah. The song is good. He fucked up. If you ever get if you get the chance, check out Meatloaf's version. Check out Barbara Streisand's version. I just need some love. So turn up the lights. All right, so next was The Storm, which was like the a normal-length song. It yep. was uh, pretty good. Funny enough, originally, The Storm was the opening to uh, the album. It was supposed to be the prologue, and Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through was the epilogue. I don't know why the fuck this happened, but when they released the album on vinyl, in 1981, The Storm and Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through were not on the album. They were included on a second disc that came with the LP because they couldn't fit. Yeah, I was just looking at that. They corrected this for almost every subsequent release of the album. But for some fucking reason, the pressing that I bought on CD 20 fucking years ago has the original album order with The Storm as track 9. I don't know mm. why. Like, if you buy it now on CD, Storm's track 1. If you bought the, the version of the CD that came out in, like, the early 90s, the Storm's track one. My version, The Storm is track nine. But yeah, I like this. I like the track. The music kind of reminds me of 
uh, some of the music from the Conan the Barbarian soundtrack for some reason. Although I, it's nowhere near as good as Basil Polidorus's work on that movie. It's reminiscent for some reason. Also, Conan the Barbarian came after this. So maybe Basil Polidorus was like, hey, uh, I'll rip that off for Conan. No, he didn't. He didn't. But we end the album with uh, Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through. That was a pretty popular meatloaf song, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through is a very popular meatloaf song. Bad Out of Hell too. My note, it's fine. Yeah, um, and this was the one where I was also like, the meatloaf version with the production, and he can hit the notes. trying for i think it's just much more polished and better i didn't hate the steinman version but then i heard the meatloaf version i was like oh that's what it was supposed to be right that's what it was supposed to be it's a demo for a meatloaf song exactly it was like the the band and uh the vocalist was sick that day so they had uh the drummer fucking stand in and sing well <laughs> and then uh you know then the final version came out and it was the meatloaf version it's like oh okay I get it. That was one that like had a had a theme. It was decent. It was it's dramatic. But for it some is. reason the the drama in that one, I don't know if it had the album had worn on me and I was like, Oh, well this is decent. I didn't hate the Steinman version and then I listened to the Meatloaf version, I was like, Oh, okay. There it is. I never need to listen to this song again. Yeah. And and then I did again, just to make sure. The only line that ever stood out for me in terms of like the lyrics which I really enjoyed was you've been through the fires of hell. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. There's like one or two lines. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah. I'm going to really hook you in with that shit. That, that and then the, and then, and then the rockin'. Dreams come true. And it kind of hits you with that. Always something new. When you really, really mm-hmm. need it the most, that's when rock and roll dreams yeah. come through. That's what, when you really need it the most. That's when rock and roll dreams come through. I mean, Jim Steinman said that rock and roll dreams prayer to the gods of rock. And that's kind of what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. When you when rock and roll dreams come through and i think part of the reason i actually like that song was uh, may have been because like everything tenacious d was that was all <laughs> like in that song but that was like the real 80s version not the late 90s joke version there's a line in rock and roll dreams come through that kind of hits like a dio note for me which kind of connects to tenacious d there's uh, he says was, yeah. he says once upon a time was a backbeat once upon a time all the chords came to life and the angels had guitars even that kind of reminds me of Dio. He just had guitars even before they had wings. So, like, yeah, there you go. That's mm-hmm. good shit, man. Yeah. I don't care who's singing it. If it's Rory Dodd or if it's fucking Meatloaf, it don't matter. Yeah. It's just good. The spirit of the song remains the same. Either way, it's a good closer. It's a good way to close the album. Keep on and that does close the album. That does put a put a fork in uh, Jim Steinman's 1981 vanity project, maybe. Or just misbegotten son. Yeah, unfortunate timing. One of the things I'm thinking now, after you said that, was like, 
what if him and Meatloaf had made this whole album together from front front to back? It could have been a fucking masterpiece. It could have been better than Bad Out of Hell too. I don't know. No, 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 no. I just said that to fuck with you. But I mean, it could have been fucking great. It could have been. You know, but, some of those uh, songs that were like nine minute fucking weird jerk off bullshit could have been a fucking like actual ballad but i don't know <laughs> and it doesn't really matter now because no it's old and steinman's dead if she was 40 years ago you always have that question what could have been if meatloaf and jim steinman had gotten along in the 80s and if they hadn't been at each other's throats for a decade what the fuck else could they have done together you know because their relationship never healed they came together to make Bad A Hell 2, and they made something amazing there, but they were never on good terms. That's, yeah. a, that's why they never collaborated really again. Well, they made a Braver Than We Are. Basically, every song, it's technically all songs written by Jim Steinman. That was the big thing. But I think every song on that album was written for something else. And then Jim Steinman, who was so fucked up at the time, couldn't really work on anything, just gave the songs to Meatloaf, and then Meatloaf made mediocrity out of them. It was a fucking travesty, because I was under the impression that something amazing was going to happen. Like, they're actually getting back together. No, no, that was never going to happen. Not good. Not good. No. Leftover shit. Yeah, that's what it is. It was leftovers. It's basically the opposite of what Bad for Good is. Bad for Good was all the demos that became better songs, whereas Braver Than We Are was all the previously existing songs that came together to make basically a covers album. And it's mediocre. Mm -hmm. It's not good. You know, I've talked to you about like, oh, what if Steinman and Meatloaf ever did collaborate again? You know, I talked to you about that probably 20 fucking years ago. Mm -hmm. There was a time when it could have happened when they were both in good enough shape they're both there. It could have happened, but they just couldn't make it work. And I think Steinman realized when he was uh, really not doing well, I think they both realized at that point that maybe they should have uh, buried the hatchet years earlier and, and tried again, but it was too late. And so that's what Braver Than We Are ended up becoming. A lot of what ifs and a lot of uh, sadness involved in that story. It all started with Bad Out of Hell, and then it almost immediately all went wrong. <laughs> yeah so i have to ask you good great or garbage i got enough enjoyment out of the album on its own terms that i can in good conscience call it garbage but it is it is not even approaching great by any means yeah. it's pretty middle of the road so i guess i'd have to say good that's only because there's no middle ground there it's not good great mediocre or garbage maybe we need to find a g <laughs> another uh because good, I would agree, I, it had I, the I potential to be great. Oh, it did. In but, fact, a lot of the songs did become great later on, just not here. Someone else did sing them. It's good. It is good. There are a few songs, having reacquainted myself with Bad for Good, there are a few songs that I will keep in rotation. It's good. I would agree. So it is certified good. The final verdict in the eternal battle between good, great, or garbage with Jim Steinman's Bad for Good is good. Bad for good. Blood 69. We're not, we're not there yet because I have to, uh, we have to bring it out, Kai. And this is, I think I know the answer because it's an answer that's echoing my brain right now. Does, does Bad for Good by Jim Steinman belong Trapo Essentials canon? Um, it belongs in a canon, but not ours. <laughs> yes. I would like to, there is something I would like to nominate for the Trapo oh, yes. Essentials canon, and that is Richard Corbin's beautiful painted artwork for Bad for Good. That cover art is sublime, and I would like to put that artwork in the Trapo Essentials canon. Just the cover art? Yeah. 
just the cover art completely divorced from the album itself remove the the iconography from the cover just look at that painted image and, and just it's rock and roll yeah okay that could be the the cover for the trapos essentials is that the mixtape cover yeah there are two comments that I would like to read from the Trapo blog. That's traposhow.blogspot.com. We've got two uh, two new comments here. One of these comments is actually a reply to a previous comment. Anonymous left a comment. This is for the Essential Albums, part one. He says, I think Third Eye Blind's first album is pretty great. That was their uh, contribution. Now there is a reply to this uh, message from another anonymous. I don't know. Maybe this guy is dissociative identity disorder and is just talking to himself. The other anonymous reply says, Third Eye Blind's second album is much better, but I wouldn't call anything they made great. Some of that stuff from your childhood doesn't hold up real well. Nostalgia is a cancer. (laughs) So uh, That sounds like something I would type. That got a little heavy. My second comment is also regarding our Essential Albums podcast. Once again, Anonymous. I found this from Twitter, and I listened to your first show. I guess it's a good start, but I don't know if I'd keep listening. Don't give up, though. I think that's a good way to close the episode there. Well, we can't close the episode here because apparently we have an email. Oh, do do you want to read the email right now, too? Yeah, we we have an email. Our official Trapo email is uh, dickblood69 at gmail.com. D-I-C-K-B-L-O-O-D-D-69 at gmail.com. Write to us. Tell us stuff. Tell us secrets. We may read your comment on the air, much like we're about to read a comment on the air from, uh, who is it? Is it, do you say it was Matt Mac? He actually said, please, please don't say my name. Just say Mac. Oh, okay. 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 No, that's good, that's good I, to know. I didn't read the bottom part. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, why don't you go ahead and read okay. our, uh, our email? This email is from Mac. If this is actually a real email address and I'm taking a chance, but I listened to the first half of your first episode and I thought it was okay. It was a little dry, but it's your first time out. Not so bad. Yes, for feedback. So here's some uh, albums that I would like to share. So then he gave us three albums, three of his essential albums, which I thought was kind of cool. Album number three was Transformer by Lou Reed. No shit. And his comment is, it doesn't get better than Perfect Day or Satellite of Love as far as I'm concerned. Just listening to this album, I'm strung out on heroin and I've never done heroin, but I'm pretty sure I know what it feels like. Even though, from what I've read, Lou Reed was more of an amphetamine guy. (laughs) He was. That's absolutely true. And then uh, Mac's second album is The Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. God damn. Solid concept album. One of my favorite bands. One of my favorite subjects. And one which we must all become intimately acquainted with, death. He said intimately acquainted with? Yeah. Jesus Christ. And uh, Mac number one album that we should listen to is Nina Hagen in Ecstasy, either German or English language version. Oh my God. Someone else has heard this album? It's a great energetic new wave experiment from an amazing artist. Guess what his bonus pick is? Big Science by Laurie Anderson. Oh, fuck me. Which we both fucking love. This motherfucker just, he just mentioned Ecstasy from fucking Nina Hagen. Are you fucking kidding me? That's From an amazing artist I've never heard anyone mention. It's a damn shame. This is a masterpiece that deserves more love. Ecstasy from Nina Hagen. That's a fucking amazing album. Fucking his bone and his, big, his big bonus science. pick is Big Science. It said, just shut up and get high and listen to this album. You'll lose your mind. I did. And you're right. It was worth it. We need to thank our, our friend Mac. We need to thank Mac for uh, for his great feedback. And uh like to also 
send us an email. Please do. It's at dickbud69. It's real. I don't know why. I was drunk. My bad. You have to type it now. Uh, I can't believe those picks. Fucking Transformer, The Black Parade, Ecstasa, and Big Science. You know, I wanted to cover basically all those albums at some point. Yeah. Can we do that now? Can we still do that? We should do a Mac episode just for Mac. Does, is that pandering? Does that, is, is that like, oh my God, we're already pandering to our one email? We're going to call the show Maco instead of Trapo. <laughs> is that it? Maco, the show that talks about Mac on purpose. <laughs> We should just invite him on the show to talk about it. I can't believe this. I want to talk about Transformer. I want to talk about Black Parade. I want to talk about Ecstasa. And I want to talk about Big Big Science. Absolutely. Um, Max's last comment was, um, he liked most of our picks so far, but he's not a big fan. The Life Aquatic Studio sessions, he didn't think the music works outside of the, like, it fits with the movie, but not really outside of the movie. But that's just me. Good work so far. Keep it up. Well, I, I can see that. I like the Life Aquatic sessions quite a bit, but yeah, I can. And if you're not, like, pull in on all of these things, then I could see how it wouldn't be quite as fucking amazing as we feel it is yeah i could see that i could see that yeah that's a that was a really uh i don't even know what to say that was a really good email they actually made good points about the albums that they'd thrown out i know they clearly had thought it through and they had some good things to say about our show we've had a podcast for 10 fucking years and this is literally the first time anyone ever it took five minutes to write us back Oh, I've 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 gotten emails in the past. Kai. They were uh, they were they were never as constructive. I'll say. I also tell you some of the comments that we've gotten so far. Actually, you know, at least they're on point. I had a guy in my old blog who literally just typed out "fuck you" under every post I had for about two years. I remember that. I feel like there was a point where maybe you thought that was me. Or, like, someone we know. I did, for a while, yes. Even I didn't have the enthusiasm to tell you, fuck you, that much, like... For two years. (laughs) Even I would have, like, got bored halfway through and been like, uh... It was, like, two months in a row and I did it. Somebody was fucking committed. I mean, I know you didn't like our podcast, but... Oh, God, no. It was garbage. It was. (laughs) It was was us drunk at three in the morning making noises we've gotten feedback before but it's never been something you'd want to share on the air i'm actually quite uh i wait a minute i think this guy uh i have followers enabled on the trapo blog apparently our friend mac is following the blog nice Maybe he listened to uh, episode two. I mean, we're assuming it's a guy, but yeah, apparently he's uh, he's actually following the blog. So this wasn't just a one-off. Maybe we'll hear from him again. That was uh, kind of touching, actually. We actually we're going to end this episode on a good note. This has been an, a more a very constructive episode of Trapo, this show that talks about stuff on purpose, and uh, we always appreciate feedback. So you know how to get to us. Until next time, I'm Dustin. And I'm Kai. And I guess we'll catch you later. See you later, peaches. Trapo, the show that talks about stuff on purpose, is a Fenderman Incorporated production.